Welcome back to the Lily K Show that is powered by Live Freely Ministries. Today, we have someone who is a guest that doesn't actually live in Texas, which is amazing because that's the first time we've ever had that. So if you guys would welcome Grace Walker to the podcast. Yay! I'm so excited to be here all the way from California. (laughs) I know. So you're from California. Yeah, if anybody is involved in U.S. politics, you know that California is a major blue state. It's a major problematic state. It's a state that has a lot of democratic presence. And by democratic presence, we mean leftist, uh, socialist, um, not very positive influence on the culture, if you will. So Grace, I just want to open this up by informing anybody who doesn't live in California about the situation that California is in right now and how you guys are going to either get out of it, what it looks like, how it's affecting you in your daily lives. As you mentioned, California is very blue. Um, And our governor, Gavin Newsom, is just known nationwide for for being very, very, very Democrat. Um, And I actually live in Southern California. I live right in between both San Diego and Los Angeles. I am literally right in the middle. So while you would assume that living right there in between San Diego and Los Angeles, which are two very, very liberal cities, gigantic cities in the in the U.S., um, you would assume that I'm surrounded by all the time. But the truth is, there's actually statistically more conservatives than you may think in California, especially in these um, smaller cities that, that I live in and that are in the the whole state. And so I've grown up around conservative influence. My parents are conservative. I'm a conservative. And so is the majority of our town, the the school I went to, a lot of my friends. However, you know that it's a liberal state based off of the laws that we have, based off of the different people that you see when you go to the big cities. So I think that California being home to Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, three of the most liberal cities in the nation that and the population of those cities being so immense that is what makes us so blue and i think that what people assume based off our of our, our state is they assume that everybody in california is a liberal and that's really not the case we just happen to have those big cities that tend to kind of take over from the political stances that we have here in California. I've heard per capita that every county pretty much outside of LA County and the county that hosts uh, San Diego, San Francisco, and Sacramento are all extremely conservative. I mean, I heard that Orange County is very conservative as well, which I think is really crazy. So a big misconception I would I would submit to you is maybe there are way more conservatives than we think. There, as you said, are just overpowered in the ballot boxes by the big cities that have really big parameters and have humongous populations. Absolutely. That's 100% the case. And it's just crazy to me. We, while it was a, it was a stretch to believe this, we had hope for California this election because so many people, it doesn't matter what county you talk to, even when I was in LA talking to different people, would make comments about how we were not happy with the government, the the state government that we were having this year. And we, we really did have hope for California potentially being red. Obviously that was not the case. We ended up blue again. Um, But you know, there is hope because there's just so many more conservatives here that are starting to realize 
that we need to speak up and we're starting to kind of have more of a presence in the state. And in fact, too, the no party preference is our kind of version of independent here. It's really growing fast. It's the fastest growing registration category in the state. And I just think that there is hope for California, but it's tough for sure being taken over by these giant cities that are primarily Democratic. That's so interesting. And random question, how is the Gavin Newsom recall going? Originally, we had about uh, when we hit the one million mark, it was kind of that's when he started to get worried. Because, get a little sweaty. Yeah, get, get a little sweaty. <laughs> he well, because I mean, Newsom was he's very arrogant and we know that. Um, mm-hmm. So for a while, he just ignored it. It was never brought up in the media. It was completely like when people would talk about it, it was kind of a joke. It was like, wow, there they are. And you'd be walking like, I remember being in LA and seeing a little um, table that had recalled Gavin Newsom and people would walk by and like laugh at that, like thinking it was funny. And then we hit a million signatures and we, and that's when um, they started to take it a little bit more seriously. Gavin Newsom started coming out on Twitter, speaking out about it. And he is trying to reassure California, like, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. But you're right. Now we're at 2.5 million signatures. So it really is going going somewhere. It's it's really showing that people do care. We're putting our votes out there and we're not happy. And there's a lot more of us who are not happy than you may think. Right. Because it's we the people, as you said in our last podcast. And if you want to listen to more of our conversation, go to Beat the Culture podcast. And I did a special episode on there, which was super fun. But I think it's really interesting, too, because obviously in Texas, we are having a massive border crisis. Uh, of the likes of which we have never seen before. Some of our border facilities, and most of them, uh, that is, are at like 1,500% capacity. There are literally kids in cages. They're sleeping in tinfoil baskets. They're being separated from their families. There are videos of illegal aliens that are throwing toddlers, like throwing babies over a border, over the wall, to get into the United States. Okay, a lot of those people don't stay in Texas. A lot of them do. However, a lot of them go to California. They go to sunny California. And so 40% of the people who are not citizens inside California yet, because, you know, (laughs) there are quite a few of people who haven't fully registered to be citizens, actually are Democrats. So 40% of them are Democrat. And I think this is really, really interesting because in California, there's a very large um, black population and there's a really large population of minority voters. And in the 2020 or 16, I guess, and 20 election, a lot of the black votes started going to Trump. So according to Vox and Edison's case, 18% of black men, male voters cast ballots for Trump, while 8% of black women did the same. And I think it's really interesting because after Trump made that iconic speech where he was like, what do you have to lose? He asked the black community, he stared them in the eyes and said, what? the heck (laughs) do you have to lose? And that woke a lot of people up. But I find that 40% really interesting because they're losing traction. People are waking up. The widespread amount of information that we're seeing, the amount of conversion stories we have about people who are like, I'm not going to be a victim to my own government and my own self anymore. I'm not a victim. I'm going to wake up and I'm actually a conservative, right? It's 
crucial for the Democratic Party to flood the border and promise all of these illegal aliens amnesty and asylum because they still need a voter base. They see how quickly they're losing and how contentiously close this past election was, despite all the election fraud. And we don't really know the actual numbers, of course, but they still need a voter base. So what are they going to do? They're going to flood the borders. And a lot of those people are going to end up in California. And that's a fight that not only Texas and New Mexico are facing, but California is also facing a illegal immigrant um, unregistered voting crisis as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we don't require ID to vote. What do you expect is going to happen? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Y'all geez. don't actually? No. D- do you in Texas? Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I am shocked right now. I thought this was a nationwide issue. Nope. California does not require voter ID. Well, what's been happening in Georgia in the past week, week and a half, that Coca-Cola, PayPal, and um, Major League Baseball, actually, which caused them to relocate, is Georgia added voter ID to a requirement to be able to vote. And people are, like, freaking out about it. And I'm like, okay, seriously? This is is crazy. This just shows kind of the shelter that you can get being in a very democratic state. Um, We are conditioned to believe that not needing an idea is normal. I'm 19 years old. It was my first um, time being eligible to vote in the federal election this year. And I remember walking in with my parents and them saying, you don't need your ID. And I was like, what? You're telling me I can just walk up there, say I'm Grace Walker. They'll give me a, a, a voter ballot. Wait, what? Like, I was taken wild. back. And my parents, I mean, they've been born and raised in California. They're like, yeah. And like, I know that they understand that it's an issue, but it's just so normalized. Wow. And what's hilarious about this is why I do, I do not see the logic, but apparently it's racist to acquire an ID. Girl, I know. So what? Right? It's so difficult for for me versus someone with a different skin color to go walk to the DMV and get an ID. That's not the case. It's just critical race theory being used again. Um, and I think that critical race theory is, is just, it plays into so much now, but people are realizing that we're creating racist issues, quote mm. unquote, out of nothing. Yep. Like this thing that has to do with an ID, you should have an ID to vote. Maybe we wouldn't have as many um, illegal votes. But the reason why they're saying it's racist is because half of their um, half of their voter base doesn't actually belong here in the United States. They're being shipped in. And so if you require them to have an ID, that means they're going to have to become a citizen and nobody wants to do that. I mean, my mom is an Irish immigrant and it took her five and a half or six years to become a citizen. She cried tears of joy whenever she was finally made a citizen of the United States because it took so long and it was so stressful. Like, I understand that. But also going back to just California's voting and stuff, first of all, it's not racist to make someone get an ID. It literally just ensures election integrity. But California is drowned, obviously, as we said, in big city folk. And we know that big cities tend to be more blue. I mean, Houston, Dallas, and Austin, the big cities that we have are all extremely blue in Texas. And so what I think is really interesting, an analysis that I've a bit had during this COVID time is a lot of people are leaving the cities because when they're when you're locked down, you no longer have the city as your playground. So you're bored and cooped up in a small apartment. So a lot of people are leaving. And that means they're going to be moving to different counties and they're going to be moving to different areas, which their votes are also going to be cast in those new counties that they move to. So essentially, that will take away some of the big power that the big cities have to leverage elections. And it could, you know, not on mass scale, of course, because there's always going to be people in a big city, but it might 
make it a little more of an equal playing field between the states that you don't have to just campaign in LA or San Diego or San Francisco. Maybe you have to campaign throughout the whole of California, maybe go to Northern California for once, you know, I I think that's really, really something that we need to pay attention to in this upcoming 2022 and 2024 election seasons. Definitely. And what's funny too, I don't know if you knew this, I'm a real estate agent in the state of California. So I, (laughs) way. So I, (laughs) I deal a lot with people moving, selling and buying and all the fun stuff. That's my job. (laughs) But uh, what we're noticing, so I think that that's a great analysis and it definitely could uh, potentially affect the elections for sure. But what also on the contrary might not be as good for conservatives is kind of all the light that has been brought out. Um, everything that's going on in the government, in our state government of California specifically, has just been brought to light in 2020. And a lot of conservatives have had enough and are moving just completely out of the state. So it could kind of, I, I see what you're saying about moving out of the cities. Definitely, it's going to help with the more widespread throughout different counties. Absolutely. And I think that we could see um, a better trend for conservatives in that way. But we are seeing conservatives moving drastic numbers. I can't even tell you how many people I've, I've dealt with who are selling their houses in California right now um, to get out because they're not happy and they're moving to states like Tennessee, states like South Carolina, states that are more red. So I feel like it's just going to completely, it's going to, there's going to see, we're going to see different results on both ends. Yeah. It's going to shift everything. And I literally have a shirt that says, don't California, my Texas. So on a personal (laughs) level, don't let any liberals move here. We have enough of them. They're trying to turn Texas blue. The Rio Grande Valley is already very, very blue because of this mass immigration and Austin has gone all weird. So girl, keep them, keep them out of Texas for us. Thanks. (laughs) I'll keep trying to sell houses. I'm like, please, please. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially the question is, where's the battle? Where do we need to be infiltrating the most? Because I see this as you probably see it actually more clearly than anyone is because you're near the entertainment capital and you're also near red country folk who are kind of out doing minding their own business. So, you know, just taking a look at LA and how close that is to you, but also how conservative you are, where do you think the battle actually is? Goodness, I know exactly where it is. The battle is in the culture. It's in the people that we're promoting. We're giving the wrong people platforms, you guys. We're giving people who are not educated in politics, who are not educated in in fact, statistics, what's going on in our country. We're giving them platforms. And people who are honestly pretty selfish are getting these platforms and they don't care about the better of their country. They care about how they look. So they're going to go ahead and go with what the culture thinks is cool. And they're going to promote things that are going to make the culture agree with them. And we know that the culture right now is predominantly liberal. So we're putting these people into a pe- onto a pedestal and they're not preaching the right message. They're preaching a message that is just causing our country to, to go downward. And the culture is ultimately where everything starts. I mean, I said this on our episode um, that we did over on my show, but the United States is a government of the people by the people, for the people. There it is. (laughs) That's where it starts. And by giving these people platforms, we're just 
we're watching the good of America just go down because we're not promoting the good of America anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, people hate America now. And how could you hate the most free and successful and powerful country in the whole history of ever? Especially having come from the LA lifestyle, having been in LA for a long time and experiencing that all firsthand, you know, it is dark. And these people are very lost in materialism and in secularism, and they are lost in a way that they are so obsessed and so um, absorbed within their own selves that they don't even have a ability to love their country. They don't have abilities to love people around them. They don't have abilities to work on a religion or even like learn about a religion. A lot of the people don't even want to subscribe to any kind of religion because it would be denying the habits that they already have, the destructive habits rather, that they're already having within their lives. And, you know, with the entertainment world, what is what is attractive? Well, it's glamour. It's something shocking. It's something big. It's something marvelous. It's something that makes you go, wow, lights, camera, action, right? And that's pretty much what Hollywood is and what they're still promoting. Right. And I want to say something too. I think that just throw back to when we were little kids in like fifth grade and below, right? We always were taught that being selfish is bad. We knew that, right? It was normal. But nowadays we're promoting selfishness like it's a good thing. And we're putting it, instead of calling it selfishness, we're calling it self-love. And the toxic culture, self-love culture is toxic because it creates selfishness. You know, it's great to be confident in yourself, but when you be, when it gets to a point where you're becoming selfish, selfish, (laughs) all you care about is yourself and you, 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 me, 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 it's just, it becomes a toxic culture because now we're not, it's not united anymore. We're not in unity. All we care about is our own benefit. We don't care who we have to run over in the process. And that's what these um, people who are who are famous, the celebrities, that's what they try to glorify. And we're just glorifying the wrong thing. Self-love is probably the second most toxic pandemic that has actually happened in the world. I would say the most toxic pandemic is the lack of objective truth that we have anymore. Um, If you want to go to a podcast episode about that, everyone, go to the episode where we talk about transgenderism. That one is really fun and very made a lot of people angry. But You're super right about that. The self-love culture and the cushy, westernized American Christian uh, lifestyle is essentially it's very toxic because it's lazy, it's unproductive, and it's not fighting for the betterment of our country in any way at all. And our influencers, our lifestyle influencers are not helping the case at all in that way that they are just allowing this lifestyle and the standards, the standards of our nation to keep slipping and slipping. What standards? We don't have those. I know. Well, apparently (laughs) we don't anymore because now we say that men can become women and women can become men and nobody can question that. I think it's ridiculous, right? But we know that the entertainment bleeds into the culture and we know that culture is upstream from politics and legislation and culture is really the most important thing that conservatives need to be fighting in because we've been lazy and we have been so lazy that we've lost a lot. I mean, could you imagine back in the era of, I don't know, let's just say even the 1980s. So not that long ago. I mean, obviously we weren't alive, but for our parents, that was like the time of their lives back then. What if they had told us that they're going to shut down our churches 
and tell us to all go home because of a head cold. Do you think that the American people would have stood for that? No, they would have laughed and they would have continued to go, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And what did we do? We we kneeled down and we caved in and we said, okay, yeah, whatever the government says to do, let's do it. We are so soft and we are so past the point of being overcooked. But we need to be taking the culture into our own hands and actually doing something about it. And so, but okay. But going back to being in the culture, a lot of conservatives are super lazy <laughs> and they're lazy to the point where they say, well, I don't even care about the culture. The battle is with the legislation. But I want to talk about why conservatives need to care about the culture, you know, not only because we are losing, but why should we care about the culture? Oh. Well, there's plenty of reasons as to why, but I think the main thing is that the culture is step one to changing everything. The culture, as we've gone over, is just the basis. It's the start. You know, when you get on social media, social media is such a big part of all of our lives and it's all just filling you with what's trending, what's cool. It starts with fashion, then it goes into political opinions. It's all a trend, right? So we need to be on top of the trends if we want the trends to then go on to affect uh, people's behavior, people's opinion. People's opinion are then going to affect the government and the government's going to affect the legislation. It's a chain reaction here that we're not getting. And people, people always make fun of the culture. I mean, at least in where I'm from, we make fun of it a lot because it's like, oh, these influencers are so dumb because they're posting this, 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 and this, right? It seems kind of funny. But the truth is it's very serious. Like, yeah, it does seem, it seems funny, but it's becoming very serious because of the chain reaction and people just are not aware of how serious it really is. I agree. And conservatives have throughout time been very libertarian about this when we say, oh, that person can do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt me or I'm just not going to get involved or I'm just not going to say anything about that activity. But the problem with that is as cultural conservatives, if we want there to be actual agreement and unity and accountability in our culture, then we're going to have to start saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm going to hold, <laughs> hey, sisters, that sounded like James Charles, hey, sister in Christ, we're going to have to start holding you to this standard because I think societal standards are crucially and undeniably crucial for the saving and preserving of a civilization. And we won't have anything to preserve or anything to conserve if we keep letting other people dictate the societal standards based on, oh, as long as it just doesn't hurt me. And that almost even comes back to that whole self-love thing. It's more like a self-protection, self-preservation thing <laughs> that we are popping into and saying, oh, it doesn't matter what anybody else does as long as I'm not personally affected or hurt or um yeah even just had a ripple effect of that thing and the more we continue to have that men that mentality of well it's not affecting me the more we're gonna let it continue to be normalized continue to be normalized until it gets to a point where we can't even do anything about it anymore things are becoming so normalized that the standards of this country and the culture are just gone it's we've created this idea that you can do whatever you want and it's okay. And the problem is that's not okay. <laughs> we learn about this in history class. There's government and there's laws for a reason, right? So as the culture slowly starts, it's going to start with things that won't seem that bad about maybe dress a certain way or maybe act a certain way. But then it's going to continue to 
to become this thing where, well, we don't need anyone to tell us what to do. Suddenly, we're going to start losing law. We're going to start losing government. And you know what happens when that when that happens when there's no government? Anarchy. You know, we have to draw the line somewhere. And the problem is the line is just just going away. We don't have a line anymore. And that's why we need to speak up. So conservatives, we know where our standard is based. Our standard is based in the Bible. Our standard is based on truth. Our standards are based on well-versed and timeless historical principles that our founding fathers spent their whole lives researching. And we need to uphold that. And we need to try and preserve that to today within a reasonable doubt, you know, depending on what's actually happening in the culture. I think tradition has to be relevant, but tradition nonetheless is still important. And so we have to be cultural conservatives for that reason, because we understand vitally through history and through logic and critical thinking about how immorality, secularism, materialism, all of the isms are destroying society very quickly, specifically something like socialism, communism, or fascism, or whatever ism is in the way of us having a true and free and moral and religious society is something that we need to take down immediately. Okay, then going into the more practical section about this. So we've painted where the battle is. We've painted why we need to care about the battle because it's always going to, someday we're going to look around and there will be nothing left to conserve if we don't get involved now, today, this hour. You have no more excuses if you're listening to the podcast. So if you're lazy, you might want to turn this podcast off because now we're going to get practical and I'm going to tell you, you have no more excuses, right? So Grace, how can we beat the culture? Because your podcast is actually called Beat the Culture. And so I want to incorporate that into your answer and give you the spotlight for this next part. Thank you. Well, I mean, yeah, I called my podcast Beat the Culture because essentially that's what I'm, that's the idea that I want to get to everyone because the culture is, like we said, continuing to go in a downward spiral (laughs) and we're just letting it. So we need to stop following the culture. We need to beat the culture. And there's so many ways to do that. I know we talked about this on our last episode, but calling your state, your state reps, this is huge. You know, I mean, raise your hand if you've called your state rep, but I guarantee that a lot of people listening to this are sitting there um, in their cars, the hands on the steering wheel. They're not raising their hands, but that's a great step one Mm. of doing that because that is being able to to speak out and being able to use your voice. And another thing too, is just, you need to be courageous. You need to be fearless because you being confident posting something or saying something that you believe in is going to be contagious. Courage is contagious. If you're worried about mean confidence, comments like I get it we all are but the mean comments can be overpowered if you say something someone else hears you they're going to stand up for you and yeah I totally agree it's a chain reaction you know you need to be strong in what you believe in you need to be able to stand up for this because letting your voice be heard is step one to, to beating the culture number two peer pressure needs to go. <laughs> no more, no more caving into peer pressure. Okay. Following trends. If it's about maybe something like fashion. Yeah. Seems fun. Right. But fashion then leads to other things. It's going to lead to so many changes of opinions. I know before mm. I became saved, before I was so lucky to be taken under the Lord's wing, I was pro-choice, not because I knew anything about the arguments. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about about the pro-life argument. I knew nothing about the pro-choice argument, but that's what everybody said. That's what everybody believed. And I wanted to be liked by everybody. So I was like, oh yeah, me too. 
But if someone were to ask me, why are you pro-choice? I'd be like, I don't know, because they are. <laughs> right? <I don't> know. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a lot of people who, who think that too. Or maybe you think that you think a certain way because you've only ever heard that side of the argument. You know, rather than caving into peer pressure, read both sides. Read a lot about both sides. And you're going to realize it's very clear. Most of these arguments have a very clear right and wrong. A very clear right and wrong. And they're just the wrong side knows how to sound like they're the right side. And Mm, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And what will help you not cave to peer pressure and what will help you be more courageous is actually being grounded in your ideals. Um, I, I say a lot that your ideals are your spine and you must be unable to live without your spine. I mean, in an anatomy and biologically, we are pretty much unable to live well without our spines. And that should be as important as your ideals. Okay. And not caving to peer pressure and being courageous is going to be reinforced and it's going to be influenced and it's going to be buffed out and made stronger by having that actual historical context and that, um, um, biblical context that we're going into is that you can't, you have to be wrapped in facts and you have to be wrapped in statistics and opinions and well-versed in what they're going to throw at you so that you are able to not compromise your morals, not compromise your spine and give up and expose your that. spine. It's so true. We need to equip ourselves with the information needed to express why we think the way we think, why we know we're right. I mean, here's the thing. I understand that there's a lot of things that I personally may not know about. I don't understand the other side. But we should actively be searching to understand the other side and understand our own side and know why we agree with what we agree with. And sometimes it's going to make you change your stance. For example, like I said, I was pro-choice for a while, finally did my own research, and I realized that I was wrong. Everything that I had been conditioned to believe made pro-choice the right answer was not correct. You know, they're, they're so easy to convince you. But the minute you start reading the facts, the statistics, the stories, the emotions... I realized I'm pro-life and I'm pro-life for a reason. And that's just one of so many different things that we that we are conditioned to believe because of the media, because the culture believes it. But now that I'm equipped with facts and I'm equipped with the Bible references and I'm equipped with so much information, I, I know that I'm on the right side now. And it's so great that I was able to, to finally do that and get that information. And I encourage you guys to beat the culture in the same way by doing your research. Mm, That's so good. And what we talked about a little bit in the other podcast, I definitely want to bring that up here in case some people don't make it all the way over to listen to that. But I said it is so important to be updated about historical context, about facts, about what our country is built on and why and all of those arguments. But then I also said, look, we're getting to a point in our culture where things are so divisive, as we said, If you have an American flag, you're most likely a conservative. And if you're going to burn the flag, you're most likely a liberal. We're that divided. And the left, they're not going to argue in our playing ground. Therefore, we have to go into their playing ground and argue the same way as them. And we need to analyze how the left argues. How do they argue? With emotions. They argue by guilt tripping you. They argue by using the quote, greater moral good as their main reasoning. Now, I'm not saying that we need to adopt the name calling. (laughs) I think that's very unproductive and definitely not a good way to go down. But 
you need to learn the emotional conservative arguments, okay? Everyone here needs to understand that we are the party of pro-life, pro-love, pro-morality, pro-justice, pro-law and order, pro-protection, pro-family, pro-woman, pro-man, pro-child. We're pro-everything. And the left is trying to paint us as anti-everything. But in reality... We know what's good for people because we know what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear about this is you should probably do this because it's good for you. God doesn't need it, but it's good for you. And so we need to be learning how to argue like the left about the rights principles. That is so important because they don't care about facts. They don't care about logic. They don't care about statistics. They don't care about the Bible. And us arguing from that place of superiority is not going to get anywhere because they actually do not care. So we need to start playing their game, learning their arguments, and be able to accept them after they're changing their mind with grace and with love. And my favorite thing, my favorite thing is when I go to get into an argument um, and I just throw at them those facts, like you said, I throw them a very obvious statistic or or Bible verse that expresses why they might not be correct in this argument. And then their response to me is no with a heart. Isn't that so good? Oh it's my good, gosh. right? And you're like, that totally changed my opinion. <laughs> you know? I know. My favorite my favorite one is whenever a swarm of like 12-year-olds comment on your photo. They do the two sparkles and they say, educate yourself. And I'm like, Oh, jeez. Y'all want to talk about education. Y'all want to talk about education? Here's a book for you. Just those two little funny comments that I know we're joking about, but it really does bring to light the truth. They do argue on emotions because the word no with a heart and those little sparkles that say, educate yourself. That's not facts. That's not true. So they obviously don't care about that. It's just passive aggressive, like you said. Um, So we do need to be able to come at them with their own game, with the emotional appeal. Another thing we need to do to buff out our own opinions is obviously, guys, read history. Read history books. Research history. History is rich. It's full. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And it's full of really raw people and raw stories and raw reasoning. See, in society, we have boiled our historical figures down to white supremacist slave owners. That is so, so ungenerous of who these men actually were. They had wonderful family lives. They had convictions. They had fears. They had a love for their country. They had a plethora of degrees and certifications and le- and, and um, just education that were so amazing. Who would have fought so hard for, you know, abolition, such as Alexander Hamilton, who would have done amazing things like our founding fathers, except for them. You know, it's it's kind of this faithless society where we don't see that God had a plan for everything and God has a plan for everything. Therefore, we dehumanize everyone in history. We say, ah, oh, George Washington, he was just a totalitarian fascist. No, he was a family man. He loved his family. He wanted to go live on his property and just exist. He was really nice to the people that worked for him. He loved his wife. Like these were great men and we're dehumanizing them to a point that we don't even care about history anymore. Right. And And that is so unbelievably narcissistic of us. Yes. And (laughs) this made me laugh, but it totally reminds me of why I just love the musical Hamilton so much. It brings to life like it teaches so much history, but it does because the actors are so, so great at portraying the true emotions and the family, the personalities of these people. And I know this is we're, this is funny um, that we're bringing up Hamilton the musical in a very serious topic, but that's just one example of like 
a person and many p- political figures of our country who they had a lot more going on in their lives just than what you know. And so, like you said, just getting to know their figure's character is going to help you understand the context. Yeah, because these were real people. And I don't know if you know this, but my family is like Hamilton fanatics. We've seen it five times. <laughs> Love it. You know, it's funny. Fun fact about me. I'm related to him. I don't know exactly how to Hamilton, like Alexander Hamilton. Yes. No, like my grandma, super into genealogy. (laughs) So that's like her most fun fact. We're related to him. That's so crazy. We need to be well-versed in what the historical context was. Go read our founding documents. Okay. I'm always surprised at the amount of kids my age and your age who have not even read our constitution. They haven't even read the Bill of Rights. They haven't even read any of our founding documents. They haven't read the Federalist Papers. They haven't read the Declaration of Independence or the Articles of Confederation. It's like those are literally what our country is built off of. Don't leave it up to Ted Cruz and whoever senators are from California. Don't leave it up to them to do that. We need to be well informed. Yes. And if you're if you're so concerned about your rights why don't you have a little bit of backup? Oh my for gosh, that? yeah. Because their constant constant argument is, I'm just standing up for my right. Okay, that's great, and I had I do admire the left's um, passion. I admire their passion. The problem is they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know, <laughs> and they don't. And it's like, I mean, pardon me if you are a leftist who has read those documents. Congratulations, you're one of the few. But right. it's just so important that if you're going to be so passionate about something, have some context because that is what is relevant, not your emotions. Absolutely. Facts don't care about your feelings, as my man Ben Shapiro eloquently said. <laughs> yeah, and and really all this is to say is get involved on a on a local level. Get in touch with your reps read the constitution, care about your country, because that's the way we will be able to make a difference in the culture. And conservatives, we need to be in the culture. Christians, you need to be engaged in the culture because the church is dirty and messy and his politics is dirty and messy as well. So what's your argument there? And, you know, we were made for a time like this as Christians. We were made to be out in the culture. We were made to be shining light in the dark places. And we can only do that with context. We can only do that with full knowledge. We can only do that with full ability to articulate and protect and defend our arguments, one. But two, we must do that in grace. We must do that in love. We must do that in a way that is wholesome and edifying and constructive because we've reached a point in our nation where we are full of stagnation. We're not getting anywhere. We're not advancing either side of the argument because we're just too busy pointing fingers. So we need to start having actual discussions in real life and bringing up our real convictions and influencing people heart to heart, one-on-one, because that's how we're going to beat the culture. Yes. Love that. (laughs) But I completely agree. I think that it's amazing that you bring that up too. And it's just, it's true. Our approach is everything, you know, name calling, being mean, and just being completely ignorant of someone's feelings is not going to change my mind. It's not. And it's not going to change their mind either. It's not going to change anyone's mind. And you know what? We cannot even 100% guarantee that coming at it with love is going to change their mind. But coming at it with love is going to bring peace. And if that's all we can accomplish, then that's fine. 
Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. But with that, I want to wrap this episode up. And Grace, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And guys, you need to go listen to the other episode we did together on the Beat the Culture podcast. It's super amazing. Go follow Grace on Instagram at Beat the Culture. No underscores, no nothing. I have it. I have the domain. Super excited. At Beat the Culture. That is my Instagram. I'm going to bring so much value to you guys on there with my podcast, my website, my blog, and just constantly filling your feeds with with information. I want to educate you guys and encourage you to think for yourselves. It's like a huge part. And and just to be successful in your life, not by following someone else. That's so good, Grace. I'm so excited for where you're going to be going because I know that even since God like reserved the Beat the Culture Instagram name for you, <laughs> I, that's just like prophetic to me that you are going to go places. I'm super proud of you. I admire your courage and I cannot wait to do a follow-up episode with you and just see where we are. And so Grace, with that, thank you so much for coming on today. And um, everybody who's watching, thank you for listening.